Today is July 4th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer. Welcome in and welcome back. It is Independence Day. This is the day when many Americans celebrate our nation's independence from Great Britain. And others just celebrate having a day off from work. It's a day of fireworks, cookouts, and fun times with family and friends. But for many Black Americans, including myself, it's also a day of mixed feelings and complicated emotions. And I did not always feel this way. I'll say more about that at the end, though. For now, let's just find our center. Let's get settled in. Let's get grounded and get ready to flow into this word. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 31 through chapter 25, verse 30. New Living Translation. Jehoahaz rules in Judah. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho put Jehoahaz in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath to prevent him from ruling in Jerusalem. He also demanded that Judah pay 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold as tribute. Jehoiakim rules in Judah. Pharaoh Necho then installed Eliakim, another of Josiah's sons, to reign in place of his father, and he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt as a prisoner where he died. In order to get the silver and gold demanded as tribute by Pharaoh Necho, Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people of Judah, requiring them to pay in proportion to their wealth. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Zebeda, the daughter of Padiah from Rumah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded the land of Judah. Jehoiakim surrendered and paid him tribute for three years, but then rebelled. Then the Lord sent bands of Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against Judah to destroy it, just as the Lord had promised through his prophets. These disasters happened to Judah because of the Lord's command. He had decided to banish Judah from his presence because of the many sins of Manasseh, who had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. The Lord would not forgive this. The rest of the events in Jehoiakim's reign and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Jehoiakim died, his son Jehoiakim became the next king. The king of Egypt did not venture out of his country after that, for the king of Babylon captured the entire area formerly claimed by Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiakim rules in Judah. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan from Jerusalem. Jehoiakim did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, the officers of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up against Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar himself arrived at the city during the siege. 
Then King Jehoiakim, along with the queen mother, his advisors, his commanders, and his officials, surrendered to the Babylonians. In the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had said beforehand, Nebuchadnezzar carried away all the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He stripped away all the gold objects that King Solomon of Israel had placed in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar took all of Jerusalem captive, including all the commanders and the best of the soldiers, craftsmen and artisans, 10,000 in all. Only the poorest people were left in the land. Nebuchadnezzar led King Jehoiakim away as a captive to Babylon, along with the queen mother, his wives and officials, and all Jerusalem's elite. He also exiled 7,000 of the best troops and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans, all of whom were strong and fit for war. Then the king of Babylon installed Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, as the next king, and he changed Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah rules in Judah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. These things happened because of the Lord's anger against the people of Jerusalem and Judah, and so he finally banished them from his presence and sent them into exile. The Fall of Jerusalem Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So, on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built siege ramps against its walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. By July 18th, in the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the famine in the city had become very severe and the last of the food was entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down. Since the city was surrounded by the Babylonians, the soldiers waited for nightfall and escaped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden. Then they headed toward the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased the king and overtook him on the plains of Jericho, for his men had all deserted him and scattered. They captured the king and took him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where they pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. They made Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his sons. Then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. The temple destroyed. On August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took as exiles the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the population. But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind to care for the vineyards and fields. 
The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars in front of the Lord's temple, the bronze water carts, and the great bronze basin called the sea, and they carried all the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the ash buckets, shovels, lamp snuffers, ladles, and all the other bronze articles used for making sacrifices at the temple. The captain of the guard also took the incense burners and basins and all the other articles made of pure gold or silver. The weight of the bronze from the two pillars, the sea, and the water carts was too great to be measured. These things had been made for the Lord's temple in the days of Solomon. Each of the pillars was 27 feet tall. The bronze capital on top of each pillar was seven and a half feet high and was decorated with a network of bronze pomegranates all the way around. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took with him as prisoners Sariah, the high priest, Zephaniah, the priest of the second rank, and the three chief gatekeepers. And from among the people still hiding in the city, he took an officer who had been in charge of the Judean army. Five of the king's personal advisors, the army commander's chief secretary, who was in charge of recruitment, and from among the people still hiding in the city, he took an officer who had been in charge of the Judean army, five of the king's personal advisors, the army commander's chief secretary, who was in charge of recruitment, and 60 other citizens. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them all to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king of Babylon had them all put to death. So the people of Judah were sent into exile from their land. Gedaliah governs in Judah. Then King Nebuchadnezzar appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, and grandson of Shaphan as governor over the people he had left in Judah. When all the army commanders and their men learned that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah as governor, they went to see him at Mizpah. These included Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Johanan, son of Kareah, Sariah, son of Tanhumeth, the Netophathite, Jezaniah, son of the Meachathites, and all their men. Gedaliah vowed to them that the Babylonian officials meant them no harm. Don't be afraid of them. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and all will go well for you, he promised. But in mid-autumn of that year, Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, and grandson of Elishama, who was a member of the royal family, went to Mizpah with ten men and killed Gedaliah. He also killed all the Judeans and Babylonians who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people of Judah from the least to the greatest, as well as the army commanders, fled in panic to Egypt, for they were afraid of what the Babylonians would do to them. Hope for Israel's Royal Line In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoiakim and released him from prison on April 2nd of that year. He spoke kindly to Jehoiakim and gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiakim with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. So the king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. Acts chapter 22 verse 17 through chapter 23 verse 10 
After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. Paul reveals his Roman citizenship. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. Paul before the high council. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Psalm 2 Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. 
the rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. So I said at the beginning that I would share my thoughts on why I'm having some complicated emotions around how to think about this day, this year. And I guess I'll start here. So part of the reason why I am just now starting to feel this way is I'm really, in I would say maybe the last four or five years, coming to truly understand the history of our country in a way that I have never understood it before. And I say that as a college-educated woman. So on this day in 1776, when the Founding Fathers declared that all men were created equal and that they have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they did not include the million Black people who were enslaved in this country and saw no irony whatsoever in the contradiction between their ideals of freedom and their practice of oppression. They did not recognize the humanity and dignity of my ancestors, their fellow image bearers of God. And how could they when they saw us as a fraction, three-fifths of a human being? And what kind of calculation is that? They saw us as property to be bought and sold and exploited for their own gain. This hypocrisy and injustice was exposed by one of the greatest orators of all time, Frederick Douglass, in his speech, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? And if you haven't read it, it is definitely worth the read. As a matter of fact, if you are an American, you should consider it required reading. He delivered this speech in 1852 at a time when slavery was still legal and brutal in America. He asks his audience, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? And then he answers his own question, a day that reveals to him more than all the other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. 
Mr. Douglas did not shy away from criticizing America for its failure to live up to its own principles. Although, when you read the speech, he clearly articulates that he had some trepidation about bringing it up. He, despite that, spoke the truth with courage and conviction. And I believe that we need to do the same thing today. I feel like we need to acknowledge that while America declared its independence from Great Britain in 1776, it did not abolish slavery until 1865, after the Civil War. That means that enslaved persons in America had to wait almost 90 years for their freedom, and that doesn't include our brothers and sisters in Galveston, Texas. And even though slavery was abolished over 150 years ago, its legacy still haunts us in many ways. Racism, discrimination, violence, and inequality are still realities for many Black Americans. And we really have a long way to go before we can truly say that we have achieved freedom and justice for all. So while I am good, I'm okay with acknowledging the importance of independence and freedom. And I'm even good with people celebrating without a shred of cultural consciousness or social awareness of the other. It's important to remember that not everyone has enjoyed these privileges throughout American history. And I also feel like it's important to acknowledge the pain and trauma that has been inflicted upon Black people in this country and that it is still complicated for those of us who have only in recent years really come to understand what Douglas and other Black Americans have long understood and also why Juneteenth matters so much. We may need some space to resolve within ourselves the difficult emotions that come with that acknowledgement. I definitely do. I have been in my feelings this weekend. And for real, for real, I never thought I would be a person who was not super excited about the 4th. I mean, we have so many family traditions around this holiday, which basically was just barbecuing and family that you don't typically see throughout the year coming over to have fun with you. But still, I I have really fond memories around this day. So now to arrive at this space where it's like, mm, I am not even sure how I want to participate in this day. That is like really, it's real for me. And I'm happy about the day off, that is for sure. And I'm also happy about the joy on my kids' faces when they see fireworks. But I can't help but feel conflicted about celebrating a holiday that has such a complicated history. And I'm not even sure if this cognitive dissonance makes me a hypocrite. Like, exactly what am I celebrating? Who am I celebrating? I know that there are those who will say that I'm being unpatriotic or that I'm overthinking things. But after reading the 1619 Project, I think by default, Black people are the most patriotic people in this country. Heck, we built it. It is ours. And whatever people think about my ambivalence, I believe that it's important for us to confront the truth, no matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient it may be. 
And the truth is, it is complicated. We may need to have honest, not may, we do need to have honest conversations about our history, our present, and our future as a nation. We need to continue to educate ourselves, to go back and read the history, and figure out how to do our part to bring about meaningful change. And I am not claiming that I have all the answers. I don't. I am just trying to work through my emotions. But one way that I do work through my emotions is by reading God's word and seeing how it speaks to me and to our situations today. And the reason why I frame that in this way is because as we've read through the Bible this year, we have encountered and will continue to encounter stories of oppression and resistance, of slavery and liberation, of exile and return. We're going to see how God's heart is always with the oppressed and the marginalized. And so today, as we celebrate the birth of this nation, let us also never forget the stories of those who were left out of that birth. As I reflect on this day, I am definitely grateful for the courage and the sacrifices of those who have fought and continue to fight for freedom and justice in this country. I am grateful for the countless Black Americans who have used their platforms and positions to expose hatred, bigotry, and inequality. And because of that, I don't feel hopeless. I don't feel helpless. I know that we are not defined by our oppression. We're not defined by our painful histories or our struggles. I know that we are defined by our identity in God, by our hope, our resilience, and our ability to rise above our circumstances. We are defined by the freedom that we have in Christ. But what does all of that really mean, right? What does it, what does it mean? For me, it means that even in the face of adversity, even in the face of confronting painful truths and histories, that we have an ever-present hope that transcends all understanding. Jesus is the Lord of our lives, and thanks to His work in us, we do have the power to overcome even the painful past. We are not bound by the chains of the past, nor of the present. But instead, we are liberated by the truth and the love of Christ. We can find joy and peace in the midst of still figuring out complicated feelings and emotions. We can still struggle and grapple with the past while maintaining our peace. We can rest in the knowledge that our worth is not determined by our skin color or our social status, but by the fact that we are made in the image of God. We can love others, even our enemies, selflessly and sacrificially because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what he calls us to do. We can strive to be agents of change and advocates for justice because that is also what Jesus calls us to do. The Apostle Paul, and I'm finishing here. Oh, I see. I sound like a preacher. I'm finishing here. I really am, though. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Now, Paul was writing to Christians who were tempted to go back to the law of Moses as a way of earning God's favor. He was urging them to embrace the freedom that Christ had given them by faith. But I think his words still apply to us today. We have been set free by Christ from the bondage of sin and death. We've been given a new life in him that is full of joy and peace and promise. He tells us to choose a life so we can stand firm on our freedom in Christ. Let's not allow ourselves to be burdened again by any yokes of slavery, whether it's slavery to sin, that's why Jesus died for us, or slavery to fear or slavery to bitterness or resentment or just being stuck in a place or slavery to anything else that robs us of our joy in Christ. I believe that it is okay for us to question, for us to sit with, for us to really think through what these holidays, and there is another one that's coming up in November that I'm learning some things about that have me tripping too, but I think it's okay for us to look at our history, even those things that are painful or inconvenient, and say, okay, well, what do I really feel about this now that I know the truth? Where do I want to land? And really ask God, you know, help me see what it is that I need to see here and help me work through it. I think that is perfectly okay. I think that that is also what God calls us to do. For right now, though, I'm just going to sit with these feelings and and I am okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just trying to figure out what my philosophy about it is. And right now, I don't know. All right, y'all, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious and loving God, on this day of celebration, Lord, it is also a day of reflection. And we come before you as we always do with grateful hearts, grateful for the gift of your word, grateful for the comfort that we find in it. Lord, we are we are still filled with gratitude and hope. Lord, we acknowledge the complexities and contradictions of our nation's history, but we also choose to focus on the opportunities for growth and positive change that are ahead of us. And as we remember the struggles faced by our Black brothers and sisters throughout history, we also remember their incredible resilience, their strength, and the unwavering spirit that they showed. We are inspired by the countless individuals who fought and continue to fight for freedom, equality, and justice. Lord, their voices echo in our hearts. They echo our sentiments, and they are guiding us toward a better future. Lord, we believe, and we just thank you for the progress that has been made. We are not where we used to be, Lord, and we just rejoice in the steps that have been taken toward dismantling systemic racism and the steps that have been taken to promote inclusivity. Lord, we are grateful for the redeeming power of education, of dialogue and understanding, and we believe that by coming together as a diverse and unified community, we can build a culture and a society that truly embraces equality and justice for all. And Lord, in the midst of this journey, we find solace and strength in your word. Lord, we remember that you are an ever-present God who stands with the oppressed, who lifts up the marginalized, and who brings healing to the brokenhearted. 
Lord, your love and grace empower us to overcome any obstacles that stand in our way. Lord, help us to embrace and know the freedom that comes from knowing you. Help us to experience it on a on a more tangible level. Lord, help us to experience the joy and peace that come from being rooted in you. Lord, help us to be an example of the way of love, compassion, and understanding. Help us to reach out in the spirit of reconciliation to one another and break down barriers and build bridges of harmony and unity. And Lord, in our pursuit of justice. Let us not grow weary in the face of challenges, Lord. We want to hold on to the hope and the belief that positive change is possible. Lord, we want to continue to have honest conversations, to educate ourselves and work towards a future where our children and grandchildren and every individual is treated with dignity and respect. Thank you, Lord, once again for the freedom that we have in Christ, this freedom that can propel us forward with optimism, tenacity, and a commitment to persevere. And Lord, we want to use our voices for good and live out our values, our virtues that you have instilled in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our affirmation for today, I am free to choose my own beliefs, think my own thoughts, and be my own best friend. I am free to choose my own beliefs, think my own thoughts, and be my own best friend. And our aphorism, liberation is not deliverance. That is all I have for you today. Thank you for being on this epic adventure with me. You belong here, and we belong together on this journey, even if we don't always agree. I love you, and if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.